Good morning and welcome, those who are here and those who are watching online. And happy Mother's Day. Um, being a mom isn't for everybody, being a parent isn't for everybody, but I have loved it. It's taught me a lot about how much I can love someone else. It's taught me a, a lot about patience and how little of it I have sometimes. <laughs> but I'm glad to have been a mom. And this week, as I was reading through social media, which Tom will attest I do a lot, I saw a lot of poems and tributes and funny videos about parenting. And uh, I found one in particular I really liked. I think it's incredibly true. And I think you will too if you have ever been around toddlers. If you've been a parent of a toddler, grandparent, a babysitter, you've worked in our children's area. I think this speaks to toddlers. It's called property laws. If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hands, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. If it looks like it's mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If I can see it, it's mine. If I want it, it's mine. If I think I can play with it better than you can, it's mine. If I play with it long enough, it's mine. If you're playing with it and you put it down, it's mine. Now that's funny for a toddler, but unfortunately some of us continue to live that way as we grow up. This morning we're wrapping up our Life Edit series and we're talking about how to relate differently. Brian's been teaching us about thinking differently and living differently, and today we wrap it up on how we relate to each other differently. We're going back to the book of Ephesians, where we've been for several weeks, but we'll be mostly in Ephesians chapter 5. So Paul has been teaching this church um, in the city of Ephesus. He's been teaching the people about things that they should not do, things that they should put aside. And that's where we're going to pick up. So remember, he's been teaching us, just as Brian did like last week, he talked about not... Um, not using hurtful words, not being untrue, not uh, doing those kinds of things. And Paul slips right in in verse 18 and says, instead, so instead of all those things, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now those first few I think are a little easier to put our hands around and understand what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that's a promise that we receive when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior when we're immersed in baptism. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity. We receive God actually dwelling inside of us. So there's our first thing, living with the Holy Spirit. We sing and speak of spiritual things. Now, hopefully you know that we did that this morning. We have a fabulous music program, and part of the great thing about it is that we speak and sing from Scripture. We speak and sing godly, spiritual things. And that's a command that we should continue to follow. Finally, he says, we should live with the perspective of being thankful. 
And that's not just scripture for us. Um, that's something that uh, psychologists and sociologists have identified as well, that when you wake up each day, starting with that attitude of being thankful for what you've got, rather than starting each day with that grumbling for what you don't, you live a better life. And so we should have an attitude of gratefulness, not just sort of generalized gratefulness, but we're grateful to God who created and gave us all of these things. And then he says, and on top of that, we should submit to one another. So what is submitting? Now there's a couple ways we can think about it. That word at the time could mean um, a military term very similar to what we have today. We have soldiers who are um, strong and smart, but they willingly put themselves in submission to a leader. They willingly take his or her orders rather than just doing what they want to. That's the kind of submission we're talking about, not weakness. Another way of looking at submission is that we are giving someone else preference. We're giving them preferential treatment. Now you may think that that's not so much a part of our world or it's too like esoteric of an idea, but in fact, we do this every day. If you're driving in St. Charles County, you do this every day because you're gonna come to a four-way stop. And when you come to a four-way stop, you have to give preference. Whether you're the first one there, you get to go first. If you both get there, you know, the car on the right. We learned that in the rules of the road. So if you're driving in St. Charles County with the number of them we have, you're going to give preference at some point. And now we have a, a newer way of doing stop signs, which is the roundabout. Sometimes that's a little harder to tell who's supposed to get preference. But again, you need to be giving preference to somebody or you're gonna have a roundabout that looks a little bit more like this one. That's the toddler roundabout. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's a little more difficult in real life than in traffic because it's not always so obvious where we should be submitting and how we should do that. Anything in scripture is important, but Paul talks about submission 23 times in his letters. So we know it's important, and part of why it's important is it's hard to do. But when I think about submission, when I think about preference, the first example that comes to my mind is Jesus washing the feet of his followers. Now this was on the Thursday that he would be betrayed. On that Friday he would be crucified. And he washed all of their feet as they came together for the Last Supper. And he didn't just wash the feet of the good apostles, he washed Judas' feet as well. Knowing what this man was going to do to him, he still showed him preference and washed his feet. And he didn't do it with this attitude of like everybody's sitting down and Jesus says, well, if nobody else is gonna do it, I guess I'll wash your feet. He did it as a servant. He did it as a gift to them, a gracious act. Another place that describes all of Jesus' Submission and his heart for that is found in the book of Philippians. And we're going to hang out there for a little bit. This is in Philippians 2, and Paul is going to talk to us about all these different ways that we see Jesus' heart. We're going to break it out just a little section at a time and run through it. So if we start in Philippians 2, verse 6, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God 
as something to cling to. Jesus was selfless. And if you're wondering about that equality God with God, over in Colossians we read, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Jesus wasn't just another resident of heaven like the angels. Jesus was God. And he selflessly put aside being the Lord of the universe to come to earth. In verse 7 it says, Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. We see that he was sacrificial. He was willing to give up being God and to come to earth. In Mark 10, we read, Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Hopping back into Philippians, the rest of that verse he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. One time Jesus was with his followers and he said to them in Luke chapter 22, who's more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, for I am among you as the one who serves. He not only left everything that heaven has, he not only left being over everything, he set it all aside and became a human. He didn't come here as a ruler. He didn't come here as a mystic or anything great. He was born as a poor child to a poor family and endured all of the indignities of growing up. He was that toddler who said, it's mine, and that teenager and that young adult. He could have stayed in heaven as God, but he chose to be one of us and to do that so that he could serve. In the next verse, we re read that when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died death on a cross. Now, we've been using that word a lot, but could there be any more great example of submission? And remember, because he's fully human, this was as painful and as humiliating and as difficult for him as it would have been for any of us. When I think about that act of submission, I, it makes me think of, again, on that Thursday night after he had washed the feet and he had done the Lord's Supper, he went out with some of his followers to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. It was a a beautiful garden. It was a place that we read many times Jesus went to pray. And while he prayed there, he prayed that God would take this away from him. That if there was some other way to accomplish the goal, the goal being our redemption, our forgiveness, not his. He wasn't doing this for himself, but he prayed to God if there's some way that this can happen without me having to go through this, let's go for that option but I will do what you want. He fully submitted, knowing fully what was to come. And because he did, because he came and he served and he submitted, 
He was raised from the grave. And this section in Philippians wraps up by saying, therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declared that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That happened because he obeyed, because he submitted. Now, you might say to yourself, yeah, but he was Jesus. Like, there is no way I can do those things. And you know, we're not called to the same action. None of us is able to perform the same actions. None of us is able to sacrifice ourselves for others in the way Jesus did. But at the very beginning of this section in Philippians, Paul says, have this mind among you, which was in Christ Jesus. We're not called to the same actions. We're called to the same attitude that he had. So how do we relate to each other? How do we relate differently because of this? Well, we're gonna move back to Ephesians, back to verses we've heard Brian teaching us over the last few weeks, back to chapter four. And I'd say that the first thing we have to do is relinquish competition. In Ephesians four, for there is one body, one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. So instead of competing, we work at lifting each other up. And we saw that this morning as our, some of our moms were lifted up here. That's the way that we are to live. And I think one way we do that, one way we relinquish competition is by welcoming others. And especially others who don't look like us, others who are different age than us, different race than us, different. We welcome all of those different people as friends not competitors. Another letter that Paul wrote to churches in the area was one to the church and the Christians at Rome, and he said, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. That's what should be making us happy, is when we can honor someone else, not lift ourselves up to a place of honor. The second thing I think we need to do to have that attitude is to reject conflict. In Ephesians, we read, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. And I found a, a picture that I think is sort of the world's idea of this. Everyone's entitled to my opinion. <laughs> but that's not what scripture is talking about. You know, you can't have a tug of war with only one team. You can't have conflict when the other team drops the rope. And that's what we're called to do, is drop the rope and make our best effort to live at peace. Next, I think we can refuse criticism. Uh, in Ephesians, back in Ephesians 4, always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. There's always something that someone can criticize, and if you don't believe me, go to social media, and you'll find it there. Um, Tom doesn't do as much social media as I do, but we were watching one together last night that was criticizing uh, paint color, how they brushed the paint on, uh, how they taped the walls. If you want to see criticism, it's all around us, but we're called 
to not live that way, to not live in criticism. In the book of James, and James was Jesus' younger brother, and he also has a book in the New Testament. He says, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you're criticizing and judging God's law. Now, it might be one thing to criticize someone else and something they do, but when you think of it as, I'm criticizing God, that changes the level of what's happening. It makes it so much more obvious that it's not something we should be engaging in. One of the uh, familiar pictures that Jesus painted for us was trying to remove a uh, speck out of someone's else's eye while we've got a plank inside of ours. We probably heard it growing up as when you point a finger at one person, you've got fingers pointing back at you. Criticism is not the way that we live. And I think a way that we overcome that tendency is we learn about others. Now you may criticize the way they're doing something or way they said something or whatever, but you don't know anything about them. Learn about them. Maybe that lady learned to paint that way from a master painter and she knows more than you do. Learn from them. People who do things in a slightly different way, it's not grounds for criticism. It's grounds for learning. It's grounds for building a relationship to find out why they do. And if you find that they do because they don't know better, help them to know better. And when they know better, they'll do better. Rather than criticism, we build relationships. And finally, I think that we relish each other's interests. Paul says he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And that is certainly something we see in the church. We see people who have all different gifts who use them together to help the body grow. There are people right now who are holding crying babies and teaching children because that's their strength. Maybe it's not ours. There are people in this church who will willingly spend a week with teenagers that aren't their own. That's a giftedness. There are people who come early to make sure this room is set up and they fill those teeny tiny little communion cups there are people who clean the church and mow the lawn to get things ready because that's their giftedness. That's their passion. So we learn each other's interests because we fit together as a body that way. And it's not just our interest here, although virtually any interest you have, any hobby, any experience, we can use it here to grow the kingdom. So don't be shy about stepping up with what you know and what you love to do. But I'd also say, one way that we relish them is to love one another, to find out about one another, to find out what their needs are and how you can help them. That's a way that we relish each other. In one of the books I read for school, there's a quote that I really love by the writer and pastor Philip Yancey, and he says, a society that welcomes people of all races and social classes that is characterized by love, that cares most for its weakest members, a society in which members compete for the privilege of serving one another. This is what Jesus meant by the kingdom of God. 
where we see the kingdom of God right now is within the church. This is how we should be living within the church. And you may think, that really sounds hard. <laughs> it's a whole lot of stuff. That's a whole lot of changing. A whole lot of being different than that toddler at the beginning. But fortunately, we don't do it on our own. We have some help along the way. The first thing we have is the Holy Spirit. I mentioned earlier about the Holy Spirit and how he comes to dwell in us. Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit helps us remember Scripture. He comforts us. He points us in the direction that we should go, celebrates with us. We're never on our own as Christians because Scripture never says the Holy Spirit gets taken away or you get a little, and then if you work hard, you get a little bit more. We are fully blessed with the Holy Spirit once we accept Christ. Another thing we have is those scriptures, and we are so fortunate that we have uh, paper Bibles, we have online Bibles, we have Bible applications, we have video things you can go to. My husband has a recording of the Bible read by Johnny Cash. That's a real convicting voice sometimes. We have the scriptures that we can go to and read. We can learn and we can confirm how we should behave. And finally, we have the church. And we're so lucky here at Connection to have this church that works together and serves together. But we have the church worldwide. We have churches in every country, every language. We have the opportunity to hear to help churches in Haiti and in Turkey and in other countries as well as just down the road from us. We have the church where we learn to do those R things together, where we learn to not criticize, where we learn to relate to each other. And we're blessed to have this. And the first step in using all of those tools and those strengths that we have is to come to a knowledge of who Jesus is and to accept his place in your life. So this morning, I invite you, if you have questions or thoughts, if you want to talk about the sermon or talk about the God that we love, we'd love to have you do that. We have people in the hub and people up front who would love to talk to you. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while, but some of those R's are still hard. Or mother, maybe Mother's Day is hard, and you'd like someone to comfort you and to pray with you. And we invite you to use the end of the service time for that. There'll be people available for that as well. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I am grateful that you didn't give me a rule book. What you gave me was a living example of how to submit, how to care for others. You gave us Jesus, yourself in the flesh. And you cared enough to go to the cross for us. You cared enough to send Paul and Peter and James and these fabulous teachers who created our scriptures that we can lean on to know you better and to know how you desire that we live our lives better. And Father, I'm grateful for your kingdom. Your kingdom here which is your church, but God, your kingdom everlasting, your kingdom where 
we'll again see moms and dads and family who've gone before us when we're fully united in your love. I thank you for those gifts and pray that I make use of them, that we all make use of them, that our lives are living testimonies to you and your love. I pray that in Jesus' name.